Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast and our series on stewardship. In this series of three sermons, we are looking at what it means to care for and use well the blessings God has entrusted to us. Christians are called to be, as Peter puts it, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We hope this series will help you understand, take to heart and put into practice this important calling. For more information and audio content, please visit us at www.neac.com.au. Um, first reading tonight, it's on page 596 in the Pew Bibles, that's Psalm 104, um, verses 27 to 34. These all look to you to give them food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. And when you take away their breath, they, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and, re, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the, may the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my, may, my, the, may my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. The second reading is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. It's on page 1146 of the Pew Bibles. It's 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means." For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Well, good evening. My name's Roger. I'm the other Roger. 
Great to be with you. Great to have you here if you're visiting with us this evening. We're going to be looking at that passage from 2 Corinthians, uh, so you might like to keep that open um, as we come to that passage. And uh, as we come to look at God's Word together, let me pray and uh, think about how God might speak to us this evening. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of gathering here this evening. We thank you for the way that you uh, speak into our lives, and we pray that you will continue to speak into our lives this evening, that we might leave leave here uh, following you in a closer way that brings your name glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got to tell you, I absolutely love being in full-time ministry. It's just a wonderful, wonderful privilege. I get to do all kinds of different things. Uh, Each week, three mornings a week, I meet up with people to talk to them about their lives for breakfast. Fantastic. How good is that? Sometimes I meet with people inside this parish. Sometimes I meet with people outside. Uh, I met with John Gray just recently. He's the minister at Castle Hill. He wrote a book on leadership, so I thought I'd meet with him and talk to him about it. This week I'll be meeting with Ross Cobb to talk about the organ. But actually, I get to meet with people at a personal level as well. Just this week, I was walking down the street and I bumped into this woman who I met about a year ago. The reason that I met her was because I ran the memorial service for her mum. She doesn't come to church. And it just so happens that in my diary, I had put her name to remind me that this was going to be a year later. Now, I'm terrible at remembering things, so this was a great thing that I'd kind of put it in my diary. But what I couldn't believe is I'd actually been praying for her this week because of what happened a year ago. And then God gave me the opportunity to bump into her in the street. And so when I saw her, I was able to say, hey, by the way, I've been praying for you this week. I know this week will be a tough week. Wow, what a privilege to be able to speak like that. I love it when I get emails. I had an email, well, not all emails. One of the emails I got this week was really exciting. We've been supporting a, a refugee family uh, from Iran. They're Muslims. And we've been trying to help them find accommodation and support them as they, they come to Australia here. It's been quite complicated. And one of our members in our other congregation has spent hours and days trying to find them accommodation. This week he sent me an email and said, guess what, we've found them accommodation, they'll be moving next week. It's like, hallelujah, doesn't God answer prayer? This week, just standing here actually, just standing here, I took a funeral um, for a family. It was very, very complicated, interstate, all kinds of things going on. Many of the people who gathered here on that day were from the same-sex community. And I got to speak to them about the comfort of God. Spoke from Psalm 23 and talked about a God who walks through with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we shouldn't fear any evil. I got to speak to them about Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. Just what a marvellous privilege. And I feel it even more because I've been doing this for about 29 years. 29 years of being able to speak into people's lives about Jesus. It's just an amazing privilege. But one of the reasons that privilege has come about is because people have supported me. 
People have supported me financially in all that time. People like yourselves who've equipped me to get on with preaching the gospel wherever I might be. Now, of course, because of that, it it becomes a little bit complicated when we start talking about stewardship and financial resources. Because as you might expect, you might think, well, you know, what's Roger going to say here when we think about financial resources? Isn't it to his own benefit that he might speak about these things? I mean, what tack do you think I should take? How should I approach this whole thing of financial stewardship, the thing we're speaking about tonight? Maybe I could take Pastor Chris's line. Pastor Chris is the uh, richest man in um, Nigeria, or one of the richest men in Nigeria. He's a pastor and he has mm, something like 25 jeeps. He has a mansion. He has uh, accounts apparently in the Virgin Islands. Uh, He preaches a kind of gospel which says, if you give, God will bless you. And it's clearly happening, kind of, for him anyway. Maybe I should take that tack. Actually, I don't think that's the way forward. And can I be blunt with you? No matter what happens tonight, my pay doesn't go up. The only way it can go is down. So, you know, kind of, nothing in it for me. Maybe, I, maybe what I should do is start begging. Kind of, please, please, you know, can we talk about it this way? No, I actually think maybe another way. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it at all. Maybe I should just get the wardens to speak about it. <laughs> and Meg's not even looking. <laughs> You know, get her up to see the, all the charts and, you know, do all that kind of thing. Well, actually, that's really important. I'm really delighted with the wardens that we have. They do a fantastic job and they present us with some really good things and we need to keep listening to what they have to say. Now, actually, I think the best way forward here is actually to go to the Scriptures and to see what the Bible has to say and to think about what the Bible has to say into our lives and for you to look at it yourself and to think about it yourself and test what I say. So let's do that. We're talking about stewardship. If you remember two weeks ago, I gave us a framework for thinking about stewardship. Um, And the framework looked a bit like this. We looked at Luke chapter 12, and we looked at verses 42 to uh, 43. And we looked at, um, that's not quite right, it was longer than that. But anyway, we looked at a passage there, which looked at um, a parable that Jesus told about a householder, a, a, a steward who ran the household and the way that he went about that. And we noticed quickly, just briefly, a couple of things. If you weren't here, you need to go back and listen to that online. Stewardship has an outlook, we discovered, and that was a real responsibility for something that is not yours. What we discovered is everything that we have, uh, the fact that we breathe, the clothes that we wear, the jobs that we have, the money that we earn, the food that we eat, is all given to us by God. But it's given to us with a responsibility. Uh, He gives it to us, it's not ours, but he gives us a responsibility to do what he's called us to do. And so stewardship has a focus, to please the master and to see human flourishing. In that particular parable, we saw this work out in the fact that the steward was the someone who looked after the servants and made sure they had enough to eat. But that was what the, the master required. And so the steward was someone who served the master But also, as a result of serving the master, as a result of being a slave to the master, we saw other people benefit and there was human flourishing. The final thing that we noticed was that stewardship has an horizon, time is short, and you will be judged. In other words, God wants to call you into account for what you do with the resources that he's given you. 
So that's a brief summary of what we said a couple of weeks ago. So let's think about this in terms of how we're thinking about finances. And we're going to go to that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to think particularly about what does it mean for us to have um, a focus which is consistent with the idea of pleasing the master and seeing human flourishing. Well, come with me to the passage and we'll have a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 to 5 is where we're going to concentrate. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their own ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for us, with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Do you see that the stewardship focus working out there? First of all, they gave themselves to the Lord. Their focus was the master. Their focus was God whom they served. First of all, they looked to what he wanted. And then flowing out from that, they then gave to others in keeping with God's will. And that's the way stewardship should always work. It should always work in terms of us looking at what God has done and that flows out of us. In fact, this whole passage is about God's grace, really. It talks about giving in terms of God's grace. You see there a little bit later on in verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to testify to the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. This is a picture of grace. And these people are giving because of what God has done for them and out of a response to the grace of God in their lives. Now, who are these people? Well, we heard a little bit of of a picture about them as we started out in this passage. It turns out that there's probably some people in Jerusalem who are having a difficult time, some Christians in Jerusalem who are having a difficult time. And there's been people collecting money for them to take to Jerusalem to help them out. Paul has told us in verse 1 that the Macedonian churches have actually taken up a collection and that's to be delivered to Jerusalem, but they've done it in such a way that it means they've sacrificed a lot. Paul is now speaking to the Corinthian church and saying, look at their example and follow their example, actually, but also, but also look at the grace of God. Understand what God has done for you. Look to him first, and then out of that, share, be stewards, give generously. And so that's the, that's the picture we have of this stewardship that's taking place. Now, it raises some really interesting questions about what does that mean for our financial resources? How does that actually work out in practice? What's the focus of this? How does that, what does that look like? Well, I think it raises these three questions at least. How are we going to calibrate our giving? How, how much are we going to give? What does this picture tell us? How are we going to target our giving? And how are we going to shape our giving? Uh, who are we going to give it to? And what shape will our giving take? So let's look at these three things as we look at this passage together. How are we going to calibrate our giving? Or how are we calibrating our giving? Well, here, it's really interesting to see what Paul says about the Macedonian churches. He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. 
So there's a calibrating word, isn't there? There's a, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their own ability. It kind of reflects uh, a story that Jesus t- tells about, a, young, uh, about a, a widow, a poor widow. And Jesus was watching rich people put their money in the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow. And she puts two small little copper coins in. And notice Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more in than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in all that she had to live on. That is a remarkable picture, isn't it? Of giving over and above what you're able. Now, Is that what we're meant to be doing? Is that how we're meant to be calibrating our giving? That's a really interesting question, isn't it? Is this a norm? Well, actually, I think Paul points this out and Jesus points this out because they're exceptions to the norm. They're remarkable instances of where people go on and give sacrificially. In fact, the normal way that we would talk about giving is a giving according to ability. Now, you see that in that passage because, first of all, the Macedonians give according to their ability and then even more than their ability. But we also see it in other ways. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, speaking about the same collection that we're talking about here, we read these words. Now, about the collection of the Lord's people on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Okay, so this is about reflecting on how much you earn and how much you can contribute. It's an important principle here. Uh, Paul has said within this passage he's not going to command you to give. He's going to challenge you to give. He's not going to say this is exactly how much you should give. He wants you to think about how much you give. And I think the principle here is according to ability. Some people give more than they are able, but... Here, it's the idea of according to ability. Now, you notice in that passage we also just read, that we just read, that there is also a regularity about this giving. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set a sum of money aside. There's a regularity about contributing. And that's another way of thinking about calibrating how much we give. Uh, Regular giving over and over again. Uh, in our church, we have a thing called BPay. Uh, BPay is a very useful way of making sure you regularly give. Because even if you go on holidays, you still keep giving because it's set up in BPay and you can give each week. I think that's a really useful way of giving. But you might have noticed up there, I also had that word tithing. Now, in the New Testament, it doesn't talk an awful lot about tithing. It's actually a principle that's basically talked about mostly in the Old Testament. And the principle is there that people gave a tenth of their income towards the temple treasury and to support of the temple and the priests. Although I have heard others question that. Uh, Some have suggested while they may have given 10%, they also had to provide for sacrifices. Uh, They're also meant to leave um, some of the crops for those who are poorer. So some people have suggested it could have even been up to 40% they were required to give, uh, just in terms of the way that it worked out. Of course, um, there are people in our community who give more than that. 
Um, I heard, I've heard of a group called the 50% Club. Uh, it's basically wealthy people who are not necessarily Christians, but they're giving away 50% of their income. However, when we think about these things in a biblical context, it would be surprising if people didn't continue this idea of tithing. So it's an Old Testament principle, but as people uh, come, become Christians and start living in light of the New Covenant, it'd be surprising if they didn't continue this idea of giving generously 10% of their income. So I think it's a principle worth considering at the very least. Um, you know, Think about how much you're able to give and whether that can be about 10% of your income. Now, it's actually interesting to think about what takes place in our church here. And here are some difficult words to say, so let me say them. At CIG, we've done some kind of looking at um, who pays by BPAY. We realise that people look in, in, um, give money in lots of different ways. Sometimes people give money in the bags that come around later on this evening. Thank you. Wonderful. Sometimes people give by BPAY. That's fantastic too. But what we've discovered in terms of regularity... About 12 people in CIG give regularly. Now, that's a, can I tell you, that's a bit surprising. Uh, in my previous church, up to 80% of people gave by BPAY. 12 people, that doesn't sound... Actually, that's the lowest ratio in our whole church for every congregation. That, that is a bit surprising. Now, I don't want you to feel guilty about this. This is kind of, let's just look at the real facts. Let's try and understand what's going on here. Now imagine, sorry, the budget, we set a kind of budget for each congregation and, we, uh, kind of, and that's based on what was given last year, purely on what was given last year and a little bit more. Imagine if 30 people here, representing couples and those who earn um, incomes individually, gave 10% of 52,000 a year. Now, 52,000 is below the average wage. So some of you will be above that. Many of you might be below that. I don't know. Whatever the case is, say there was 30 people who were on 52,000 a year and they gave 10% of their income. We would hit that budget out of the ballpark. That would just be amazing. And you know what the exciting thing about it would be? Not that I would end up getting more money. No, we could do more gospel ministry. It would be fantastic. We could start developing other ministries in this area and beyond. We could start supporting more missionaries. We could start seeing other things take place here in Newtown and Erskineville. That would be the exciting thing. That would be so wonderful to be able to see the gospel going out more and more as we support gospel ministry. So can I ask you to have a good think about this? Can you support gospel ministry? Are you a regular here? Do you come every week and listen to God's word taught? Well, I encourage you, think about how much you're giving and see what you can do in order to support gospel ministry here. Now, the regularity is also important to us because one of the challenges we have is managing cash flow. Uh, if there's big bumps in the year and people give all their money at one particular time, it actually makes it difficult for us to pay the bills and to help people in their stipends and help people with their wages. So if we can do it regularly, that would be really useful as well. So can I encourage you to do that? Okay, 
Give according to ability, regularly, and think about the principle of tithing when it comes to calibrating your giving. Well, as I mentioned before, we're not only talking about calibrating our giving, we're also about talking about targeting our giving. Who should we give to is the question. Well, if we go back to our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we read these words. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their own ability, entirely on their own, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. As I mentioned previously, it sounds like the Jerusalem church is in trouble. The Macedonian church is saying, we would like to give to support those other Christians who are in need. Now, a little bit later on, Paul will go on and explain why he, he calls them to do this. Um, in verse 13, he says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. This is about supporting brothers and sisters in Christ. This is about supporting those who are in greater need. So one of the first places we should be thinking about in terms of our giving and how we're targeting our giving is Christians who are in need. Now that's further evident if we take into, uh, take into context passages like Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We should be supporting Christians. But notice also, it's possible to be supporting those who are not following Jesus. That's what's been so delightful about supporting this refugee family recently, actually, because they come from a Muslim background. It's been wonderful to be able to let the grace of God flow in this very practical way into their lives. And actually, you know what? We've hooked them up with a Persian community where they can speak together and where they can start looking at God's word together. It's very exciting. We're praying that they will come to know Jesus. So, support Christians, those who are in need. The Bible also has to say something about families. Now, this would all be in the background as Paul's speaking to the Corinthians. Uh, this is what he's been teaching. But look what he, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These are very strong words. The point here is we're meant to be supporting our own families. If they're in need, particularly in financial need and in other ways, of course, as well, but if they're in financial needs, we should be supporting them. That's part of our call as Christians. That's part of our response to God's gift of grace to us, the fact that he has provided everything for us. So if we're going to thinking about targeting our giving, that's another group of people we need to be thinking about as we work out how to target our giving. The final area that I thought I'd mention this evening is those who preach and teach. Now, you, you might have noticed in the passage that we've been looking at in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that Paul talks about receiving some gifts. And it's clear that Paul has been supported in his ministry from time to time. And indeed, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5 these words which s suggest this. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. Isn't it fun we get to call Roger Fitzharding an ox? 
Well, actually, I'm an ox too. Uh, yeah, we, we get to be called oxes. Okay, so we're oxes. Why are we oxes? Well, the, the point being here that oxes, as they tre- trod the grain, they'd go around in circles treading the grain. And as they went around, they'd actually feed on the grain from time to time. And this is about supplying the needs and supporting those who are in, in ministry. Uh, in ministry where you're particularly um, teaching the word of God. Now, in our case, what happens uh, in the Anglican church is someone like myself receives a stipend. Uh, that stipend is not a salary, it's not a wage. Uh, basically, it means that I'm provided with enough to live on so I can get on, to do, get on with ministry. And people are very generous, and it's wonderful. I'm delighted and, and feel very privileged to be supported in this way. That's how it works here, so that's what I meant before. It's, my pay is not going to go up. It's kind of set by the diocese, that's the way it is, and we keep employing other people as we actually have more money in or supporting other ministries. So, important principle here, it's important that we continue to support those who are in full-time ministry. Now, maybe you want to support people here. Maybe you want to support some people outside as well. That's fantastic. Maybe you have friends, family that you'd like to support in terms of their ministries. Good, go for it. But the principle here is that we should be supporting those who are in ministry who are teaching us. Now, the reality is in our church at the moment, we don't do that. We're actually a bit reliant on our bookings. You know, we hire out our halls and things like that. Uh, As we do that, we are able to supply and support some of the um, employment of our staff or some of the stipends for our staff. We would like to move away from that. We think a principle is that the offertories and what's given in this church should really go towards supporting ministry. And things like the bookings that we have for our halls really should go towards maintenance of buildings. Because what's happening at the moment is we're actually not maintaining some things in order to support ministry staff. I don't think that's a good principle to keep running with. So can I encourage us to keep thinking about what we're doing and how we're contributing to all of this? Okay, so targeting our giving, Christians in need, those in need generally, family, and those who preach and teach. Well, finally, let's consider how we're shaping our giving. Uh, How do we shape our giving? Well, in this passage, we see that the Macedonian church are pleading with the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they're pleading in such a way as they're giving beyond their own ability. And I suspect what, well, I don't suspect, I know what this means. It means that they're giving sacrificially. They're pulling out all stops. They're saying, we can see there's a real need here and we'll actually give sacrificially. We'll give and it will hurt. It means that we might not be able to have some of the things that we would like. But we want to do that because we want to see other people flourish. We want to do that because actually God by his grace sent his son into this world who gave sacrificially of himself in order that we could come to know him. And because of his grace, we want to give sacrificially too, because of his grace to us. And so one of the first ways we can shape our giving is to think about it sacrificially. There are other ways, of course. A little bit later on in chapter 9, we read these words. Each person should give 
what they've decided in his, their own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Notice the grace at work here. For God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, how often are you cheerful about parting with your money? (laughs) Not very often. I I don't find it easy to part with my money. How can you be cheerful? The only way you can be cheerful about giving is if you understand deeply that God has given you everything you've got. And that because he's been rich towards you, you have the wonderful opportunity to support others. Wow, what a gift. Isn't it wonderful to be able to contribute to other people's ministries, to see people's lives change and grow because of what God has given you? That's why you can be cheerful, because it's just a wonderful gift to be in that position, to be able to support others, to see things take place, to see people's lives changed, to see people brought to a knowledge, a deep love and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes it cheerful. Because it's God who's done it in the first place. Well, finally, the other thing to notice about the shape of our giving is that Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to excel in the grace of giving. So here, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Imagine being known as a church that excels in the grace of giving. Did you hear about that church in Sydney? They excel in the grace of giving. Yes, they excel in love and they excel in knowledge and they excel in speech. But did you know they also excel in the grace of giving? They're generous. They're generous with what God has given them. I think that too must shape the way that we give. Sacrificially, cheerfully, excelling in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean for us as a church? How does that work? I want you to go away tonight and think to yourself and consider before God what it is that you're giving. Give according to your ability. Give according to those things that we've talked about tonight. Take a moment and consider beginning of a new financial year, maybe it's a good time to think about your budget and think about how you're going to expend it over the coming year. Spend some time before God asking him how he wants you to excel in the grace of giving. But we're also recognizing this. You received a little piece of paper. It has this little continuum on it. I don't completely agree with it, but I think it's helpful to think about. What we're hoping is that over the years... People, as they come to know of Jesus, will become first-time givers. There'll be people who say, yeah, actually, we want to contribute to the ministry of the gospel. Then over time, they'll become regular givers, recognizing that that's actually an important part of growing in Christian maturity. Then as they've recognized that becoming regular is actually important, maybe becoming tithers, people who are giving 10% of their income to various things according to their ability. And then we've got this notion of extravagant givers, which I guess actually everyone's an extravagant giver when they give, but maybe the idea of excelling in the grace of giving at this point. And our hope is that over the years we will become a church that excels in the grace of giving. Now you can see there one of our goals is to see 80% of our core members, that, people, that is people who turn up regularly, who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who are doing it because of the grace of God, 
giving 10% of more of their income to support ministry. Not only here, but elsewhere. And we're hoping that happens within two years. I don't know quite how we're going to measure that, actually. But I guess we'll see the B pay rise. I guess that's one way of knowing about it. Maybe we'll ask you a question at some stage and go, how, how's that going? You know, how, how are you going with the thinking about giving in your own life? Are you increasing in your Christian maturity in the way that you're thinking about your giving at this point? Can I leave you with that challenge? Apply this to your own heart. Think about what God's calling you to. Do it because of the grace of God that's uh, worked in your life. And give in such a way that means that we can see the gospel ministry continue to expand and many people come to know and love Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would challenge us at the beginning and you have. Father, we ask that you would also help us then to put into action what you've called us to do. That we might do that in a way that's cheerful and thankful in a way that celebrates your gift of grace towards us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.